0: All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of the Entrepreneurial Development Podcast. Got a special guest for you guys today. Um, This is a guy that we are just now getting connected, but I'll tell you, I've been watching his content and watching the things that he's been putting out on social for a little bit of time now and man this guy's crushing it you can tell that he's passionate about what he does you can tell that he's knowledgeable and he's putting in the work so if everybody that's out there listening could pay close attention i have jacob weirds vicky is that, that that's how you say it right weirds vicky right it looks crazy cuz there's a z and a b back to back it's weird but jake Thanks for being on the podcast, man. We are welcoming you on. Glad to have you.
1: Yeah, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you're about. I'm uh, super excited uh, to be doing this with you. And and yeah. Absolutely,
0: man. Absolutely, man. Let's, Let's rock and roll. So just jumping straight in. Let's get to know you, right? Talk about the origin story. You know, where you come from, where you grew up, what led you to kind of some of the things that you're up to now?
1: All right. So, this story can last an hour. I'm going to try to take it <laughs> in about four minutes.
0: Thank you. Uh, Thank you for that.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> so, basically, I was born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I lived there until I was about six months old, then moved to San Francisco. I lived in San Francisco for about six years. Then, from there, I went down to Madeira, which is right outside of Fresno, California. Mm-hmm. Back to Albuquerque, then to Louisiana, and now I'm in Iowa. So, I've kind of been all over. As is it far because
0: as- military Brett, like type of deal or w- no. whatever?
1: No, it was just my adopted father, who is the guy who gave me this last name.
0: Mm.
1: I, I know my real mom, so I tell people that. I'm like, oh, my God, you're adopted. You, were you kind by <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, that's not going be dramatic. So I know that's not funny, but I'm just saying, you know, I had my real mom. She married this guy. He adopted me, my older brother, and my sister, and then they had a kid together, my younger brother. Okay. So anyways, and so he worked for EA Sports. So he just, he kind of moved around back and forth. You know, he did a little remote work, different stuff like that. So, long story short, though, throughout that time, my mom was married to him for about 12 years. From the time I was a baby, pretty much he was the only man I knew up until I was 12 years old. We were homeschooled, and so didn't have, and I only say that because there was a lot, there was not very much social interaction. You know, as far as with other kids our age uh, that I can remember, but it was a very oppressive household he was extremely controlling and extremely egotistical. And so a lot of the rules in the house were based off of him being controlling and having that kind of not like a narcissism kind of gotcha. aspect to it. And he based everything off of religion. Mm. So growing up, I mean, I knew doctrine probably before I could you know write my own name. You sure. know? So it was just very, very controlling. I mean, a few of the rules that we had in our house was was not allowed to listen to any music with words, not even Christian music, only instrumental music because he said that even Christian artists were singing to glorify themselves and not God. Wow. Of course, there was no TV in our house, so we couldn't watch any movies, anything like that. No Christmas, no holidays, nothing like that. Uh, I remember when when I was little, I was probably five or six years old, my grandmother, who lived in Louisiana, my mom's mom. She sent us a, like a box of gifts, you know, for all the kids. There was four of us, and uh, he let us open up the box and he let us keep each one thing and everything else he threw out. So I had this little dog I stood up today. His name was Rinky. His little stuffed animal, <laughs> but I had that was the one thing that I got to keep out of out of everything. And then I think she sent gifts for maybe two more years after that. He just threw it straight in the trash. I think mom ended up telling her like, "Look, you're wasting your money." So that was kind of just part part of what I was raised around if we ever got into trouble it was generally for silly things it wasn't i'm not against i guess you can say punishment Mm -hmm. you know i think there needs to be discipline you know especially as a child right like what you don't know you got to find the lines of right and wrong but it's when even as a child you knew this ain't right Mm -hmm. and so at a very young age i learned to build up emotional walls And, you know, because every time he would yell or he would get mad. And part of it, too, was I would bring a lot of the attention on myself. Mm -hmm. I was kind of the black sheep, but I always had a big heart. And so anytime that any of the other my brothers or sisters started getting into trouble, I would find a way to to bring the attention back to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I remember one time I got locked into my room and I was probably 11 at this time, 10 or 11. And I know this story is kind of all over, but it's Mm -hmm. it's from the time that I was a baby to the time I was 12. It's bits and pieces that I remember. I wish I could tell the stories. I've repeated. I've been on several different shows now and I spoke at all over the country at this point. And just, I wish I could say the story in like a linear (laughs) time lapse, but I only remember bits and pieces. You know, I remember some good times. I know there was good times in
0: there, but I only vividly remember some of the bad times. If that makes sense. It makes sense. Makes perfect sense. It's perfect. sense. And and by the way, you're telling the story fine. Like I follow, I'm sure the listeners follow. Okay,
1: cool. You know, about that time that I got locked into my room, though, I forgot what it was. But actually, one of the rules was we were not allowed to talk to girls either. Mm. And so with this particular case, he had taught, caught me talking to this little girl up the street. I was in love with her. I'm sure I was like 11. So however <laughs> much you could be. But he caught me talking to her. So He put me in my room. I had to write 5,000 sentences Said I will not talk to girls. And I remember this time, and we wrote sentences. It was nothing to write two or 3,000 sentences. But I remember this time very vividly because I'm a social creature and extrovert. And the family was downstairs eating and doing something. I remember I opened up my door. and I was like, Hey, can I come out? Can I come downstairs and eat? And he slid a piece of bread and a few carrots under the door. And that was my dinner that night. Wow. And so there's times like that. I mean, there's a couple of times that I was beat bad enough to where one time he beat me because I didn't say beat me. I mean, he was, you know, pretty much, I just had these long welts that were bleeding from about the, my lower back, all the way down to my ankles. Wow. And I'm not even saying like, I mean, I lived in the South for most of my teenage years, right? I'm not even saying that, you know, I know some people that have got, you know, whooped, whooped right? Whooped
0: for real. That
1: <laughs> yeah, got whooped,
0: right? Yeah.
1: But it was this case, I mean, even as I think I was 10 or 11, somewhere in the same time, it was because he had heard from our babysitter that his spankings didn't hurt. So that was the only reason that he went there like that. Wow. I think even as a child, I knew that was wrong, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah.
1: And so that was kind of, I guess, just kind of give you a picture of what our lives was like you know anytime an adult especially him walked into the room all of us children would have to stand up and bow our heads until he said you could be seated of course yes sir no ma'am which i still say that today and that's a southern thing and that's sure. a respect it's not an age thing but so that was just kind of i guess it, to kind of draw a picture of my childhood yeah. it was I'm very curious hard.
0: though because of that do you have a problem with authority now like no this? no,
1: no. I, okay. used
0: okay. I used to i used to a couple
1: of years ago yeah i had it bad. But, and even now, sometimes, don't get me wrong, certain yeah. people who have the same personality traits do flare me up. Sure, but I've, sure. I've been in enough situations now where I've learned how to, you know, keep my temper or my ego in check. But yeah, so that was kind of just the, you know, growing up, I remember from a young age, all I wanted was a dad that loved me. And so every time that anything would happen or, the, you know, we had daily fights, you know, the whole house would be screaming fighting. I was arrested at 11 years old, was thrown into jail. What, like 11, you said? I think I was 11. Wow. Yeah, that time was same thing. And we got into a big fight. And every time they, that my parents would fight, of course, my mom was generally protecting the children. And my mom would like to leave to go cool down. And he didn't like her to leave. So, you know, at this by this point, we had gotten smart enough to where we would take like her keys, her wallet, and her glasses. So she, When she got ready to walk out the door, we just hand it to her. In this case, I vividly remember this one. She l- walked out the door. I locked the front door. And when I turned around, he was running around the staircase at me. And I kind of blacked out. I hit him. He fell back on the stairs. Long story short, ended up going to jail for it.
0: Couldn't have been that long, though. Like, you're 11. How long were you in there?
1: Oh, no, like 15 hours.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. Oh, yeah. No.
1: Yeah. It was the worst, you know, in my mind. I was in prison, right? I was like, sure, holding black. Like, I thought, (laughs) like, I'm going straight savage on these dudes.
0: (laughs) Like, if this is what it comes to, I'm going to be ready. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Like,
1: I was walking walking around singing, Jesus loves me in circles. And the jailer is kicking on the door, like "Shut up, you stupid!" <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. I was
1: scared out of my mind. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, my mom finally came up there, and she convinced him to come up there and get me that night. And they put me on probation for three months after that. But <laughs> you know, but back to what I was saying. As far as is, and I want to say this because it's really, really important to understand about the head game. But every time I would get in trouble. I would run to my room and I would cry and I remember closing my eyes and and I would imagine that there was a, like a Rambo knife. I'd obviously never seen Rambo, but I knew it, had, it was a big knife and it would cut my heart, right? First in half, then in quarters, then in eights, sixteenths. And before you know it, my heart was in a million little pieces. And I would remember every time I would go to my room and I'm, from as young as I can remember doing this, I did it. And, and so even now, you know, people ask me, cause I'm a pretty young guy, I'm 24 years old. Okay. So even now people ask me, like, where in the world does the experience, does the wisdom, does the drive, all that stuff come from? And that's not a humble brag. That's right. just I try to, to put some context to it by saying that my escapism as an eight or nine year old child was looking out the window, like writing those sentences. I would look out the window and I would verbally out loud tell myself, one day I'm going to be great. One day I'm going to change the world. One day I'm going to prove to him that I'm not a nobody, that I am a somebody, so from a very young age, I learned two things. A, the importance of verbalizing things. And then the second thing is, is I learned how to build emotional walls, which was not a good thing. So that was kind of just, at least that was, and of, of course, from there, we, we ended up getting away from him in the, in the middle of the night, went to public school, which was a completely different transition than I had my whole teenage years, which I would say is pretty typical. I was a little different. I, I got singled out by, by the kids a little bit more. But a lot of it was brought on. I was loud. I was obnoxious. I was annoying. I was arrogant. They didn't know, and even at the time, I didn't know. I was overcompensating, right, for the insecurities. Because I, I mean, I wasn't. I had zero confidence at 13 years old. Sure. I just didn't. Sure. Get, and of course, I was going crazy with the girls. I mean, I lost my virginity at 13 years old.
0: Wow.
1: So I hope there's not any young listeners that listen to your they show. They probably
0: are, but it's okay. It's all good.
1: But it's, it's real talk. <laughs> yeah, <right>?
0: it's real. <laughs> that's,
1: I mean, it's what it is. You know, it's, it's one of those things. It's real talk. And I don't say that like, oh, that's cool, because it's not. It does things mentally that are just not meant to happen at that age. Your, your mind and your hormones are still developing. It's it's not good for you scientifically. Absolutely. But again, I didn't realize that all this stuff that I was going through. So, anyway, so typical high school stuff, right? The party and the drink and everything sure. else. Sure. And the part that really changed me when I was 18 years old, when I graduated high school, I didn't go to college. Mm. I went straight to the oil field, started working
0: which can is we, can we talk about that really quick what was going on that you said nah college isn't for me i'm gonna hit the oil fields like what what was your mindset like
1: there was a couple of things for one i was young and dumb and i was really worried about money right I was, we didn't have money man i don't know how to, i like i don't know how to put like i drove a gold minivan in high school bro and i mean <laughs> bro, like i rocked that thing I can't no, do it. It. like i put up in school like i didn't care right like What's up, y'all? I mean, I, I, <laughs> we didn't have money. My mom, you know, she did everything she could, and she ended up remarrying married an amazing guy. He's been an amazing father to us.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: but still, there was at that point there were six kids because he had two kids plus her four.
0: God, did any of the siblings go to college? No. Okay. No. So yeah. it was always like you guys just knew coming out. It's like, we got to start working. We got to start making money.
1: You know, and honestly, the college was never something that was really put on us, was really pressured to go to college. My brother dropped out of school in sixth grade. My older brother dropped out as a junior in high school. My sister graduated and then I graduated high school. And the college thing was just never really, really pushed on us. And keep in mind that we lived in Louisiana. Louisiana is a very, very blue collar sure. mindset. So, and then we had colleges, I mean, obviously LSU and all stuff, but I'm just saying it just where we live was very, very blue collar. So it was very typical to see people graduating and going. And because there was no economy in mm-hmm. the towns, you had to go off and work either on the pipelines, doing shutdowns in the mills, or you went and worked you know offshore on a rig or something like that. So that was pretty common. I guess you could say just where I grew up, it was a pretty normal thing.
0: Gotcha. You, gotcha. You. So after you're like, Hey, I'm gonna go work in the oil field. How did you transition? What was the transition like oil field to where you're at now? Like take me through like the 18 to 22 or whatever.
1: Yeah. And that's really, I think that that's the part of the story that I love telling the most. I have to tell everything else because like, I want to give context. Sure. But, you know, I was working in the oil field next time I was on land. So I was all over the country at 18 years old and I was away from home a month and a half, two months at a time. And I was living in Ohio or we were working up there. And I woke up one day and at this point in my life, I kind of knew that I was, for lack of better words, I kind of knew I was a dick. Mm. Uh, I didn't really care about people yeah. and I didn't, really didn't care about other people's feelings. And you remember as a kid, I learned to build these emotional walls, right? Yeah. But I never, I knew how to not let people in, but I also knew how to manipulate. And I was very, very good because all I did was watch people locked into my room. I watched kids all day long up and down the street, up and wow. down the street, down the street. So, and then even being around someone like my adopted father, you learn to pick. I mean, like total narcissist, right? Egotistical, controlling, all this other stuff. The arrogance, all this stuff. So you learn to watch this stuff. And so I just naturally became really, really good at playing off of people. Right. And I just, instead of just you know, I usually was it was usually degrading towards women and mm-hmm. all. Honesty, right. I was just not. I wasn't respectful. And to be quite honest, I wasn't respectful to anyone. Sure. Um, I was very loud. I was very obnoxious. I drank a lot. You know, it was, it was cocaine and it was partying and drinking and everything else. Yeah. Pretty much I night till 5 a.m. And as long as we was at work at 6, nobody really cared. And I think when I was 18, I woke up and in the hotel I was staying at, there was a big mirror behind the bed there and something hit me, man. And I firmly believe it was a divine intervention everyone can choose to believe in whatever they want to believe. That's fine. I'm not here to put my beliefs on anyone else, but I do believe in Christ. Although I did have the rough upbringing. I had a very amazing mother who showed me what true love looks like. And even now, you know, I choose to believe because I know that that people and God both can love um, immensely. And it's huge to me. So that time in my life, man, that 18 woke up, looked at that, man, I hated what I saw. I absolutely hated what I saw. I looked in the mirror, I hated what I saw. And I wanted to break the mirror take a piece of the glass and cut my throat with it. Mm. And there could have been a lot of different ways to kill, you know, myself. And that was, keep in mind, I tried to kill myself twice when I was a kid. I was just a dumb kid. I tried to hang myself with yarn one time, which is kind of, it's funny. It's not, but it is. Right. I was a dumb kid. Like, like, thank God I was a dumb kid, right? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> right, thank God he chose the yarn <laughs> over something else.
1: <laughs> like, I, it's not funny. There's nothing funny about suicide right? but right. this is my life. And if I choose to laugh about my life, I can but, you know, I wanted to break what I saw, and I think that's where the whole breaking the mirror came from, because I just wanted to break what I saw. I hate it. And I don't know if, you know, everyone chooses, again, believes in their own things, or people believe in angels and demons, but I went down um, to the hotel manager. He was a much older gentleman. He was probably in his 60s, right? And I'm 18. yeah. And I had to get some quarters to wash some laundry or something like that, and I've been crying for six or seven hours at this point. Wow. Just, I mean, you talk about just a hole. I mean, just black. That's all I saw was just black. And... Uh, the man looked at me, and he said, you all right, son? And, dude, let me tell you, I lost it all over this guy, all over the desk. And he knew exactly – his wife was standing there, you know, they managed the hotel together, and she freaked out. Oh, my God. And he looked at her, and it's, you could tell that they've been married a long time because he looked at her, and he said, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he said, shut up. And he, he grabbed me, and he said, come here, son. I mean, like this dude, he grabbed a box of Kleenexes, and, I, man, I, I'm telling you, I spilled my life to this guy.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything about the what happened when I was a kid – and that, and I went into a lot more detail than I'll share on podcasts, not because I'm scared to share this, my story, but I just don't ever know who's listening. Absolutely. And some of, it, some of it can be a little bit of a little dark and a little grueling. And so I don't, you know, but I, I just shared it with this guy, man. And then I said, you know, and now I act like this and I act like that. And I do this to this people. And, you know, I had an entire group of people that were following me in a good way. And I was, I was doing good things. And then next thing I know that same group of people was following me to the parties and and treat people wrong and just being mean to people. And I, I felt like all that was guilt was on my shoulders. Sure. And when I got through, I just, you know, I said, man, I said, I'm not a good person. I don't know how else to put it. I'm just not a good person. I'm a terrible person. And keep in mind now, I wanted to be great. Right. Right. And I just knew that I wasn't, I wasn't going that way. I was like, man, I can't change the world like this. Like, I'm just not a good person. I, I don't even know what to do. Right. And this man looks at me after about an hour long conversation and he says, you're going to be okay, son. And I'm like, really, dude? Like, like, like that's your great life advice. Like, like well, I'm in a different state of depression here right now. You know what I mean? Like I'm ready to kill myself. And that like, that's what you got to say. <laughs> right. And, and he looks at me and he said, man, and I didn't know this about the guy and this is where I believe is, is incredible. And I think this is God really. He said, son, he said, what you don't know about me is I went through a similar situation. And he said, the only difference is it took me until I was 35 years old to see what you're seeing right now. Mm. And I was like, whoa. And so he he said, you can't – and I'm telling you, this statement right here forever has changed my life. It's a changed way I do business. It's a changed – because I'm a father as well. I became a father later on that year when I was 18, which also kept me out of college. It kept me in the workforce. But he said – you can't fix a problem until you know where to start. And he said, the fact that you can sit there and say that you're this, you're that you've done this to this person, you've pushed this person away. You've hurt this person. He said, you're good. Okay. He said, because now you know where to start. You have found the problem. Now you know how to fix it. Absolutely. I'm kidding, man. Dude, that night, don't get me wrong. It took me years. Literally. I wouldn't even, even now, right? I'm constantly working on myself. I'm just, I'm not, if people who know me now would have thought I was dead or in jail, Sure. Like, you know what I mean? Like sure. they, they, so it's night and day, but that one statement, man, and I wish I, I, I wish I knew his name. I wish I could go back and thank him. Cause that, that man literally changed my life.
0: That's it. Yeah. That what you just said, Jacob, that is one of the biggest points that a lot of people don't understand. I literally just had this conversation with somebody else where, so first off, I'll give you kudos. Cause you are incredibly self-aware, right? Incredibly self-aware for your age. And even to the point of that story, at 18, you were self-aware. That's what he saw, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that like at 18, because as you're telling me this, I'm like at 18, there's no way I would have had that type of self-awareness. There's no way I would have looked at the mirror and been like, I don't like who I am or I don't know who, like I would, I'm not even, I wouldn't, wasn't even close to that. So just mm-hmm. the fact that like you had that self-awareness was everything. But the other side of that is you hit a place of rock bottom. You hit a place of rock bottom and when you hit a place of rock bottom, it allows you to be able to become internal, right? You internalize things and start to say, who am I? Why am I at this place? How did I get here? And then you start to think about where you want to go because rock bottom means the only way you can go is up, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what people, a lot of people and a lot of hopefully people that are listening should take from this to understand the entrepreneurial journey actually starts when somebody really hits a rock bottom place in their life. I firmly believe that to be successful in entrepreneurship, you got to have some adversity and typically some major adversity for you to start to take that mirror and say, who am I? And then you start to perform in your own gifts and your talents. So first Mm -hmm. off, kudos, man, kudos for being self-aware at that age, but it explains a lot about your success right now. It, it explains how you got to this point. So after, after that, after that moment, how did life change? What happened?
1: So uh, like two months later, I found out I was going to be a father.
0: Well, that changes <laughs> life very quickly,
1: huh? <laughs> yeah. And he's freaking incredible. We spent all weekend together. He's amazing. That's awesome. um, but yeah, so after that, it said, okay. Um, and this I literally gave this advice to somebody earlier. I looked at my life and I was like, holy crap, I've got so much to fix. And so what I did is I started with the small things, right? So I stopped cussing. I stopped being so perverted all the time, right? Because I would say I had no filter, whatever came to my mind. So I stopped with that, right? Then I stopped smoking. Then I stopped drinking. And I have nothing against any of that stuff today, right? I mean, I, I have drinks all the time. Like I have nothing against, sure. because, I still don't cuss, but that's just because I don't. But that's I don't have nothing against it. Like I worked in the oil field, bro. Right. Like I have nothing against it. But for me I think that's what it took. I had to cut away all the crap. I had to cut away all the BS and come down to the core of who I was because I think there was a lot of other influences in my life. There were some people in my life that I had to cut out. And and this didn't take this is not like okay, I woke up the next day I had this list of things that I had to do and then the next week it was done. Course. Right? It took like months of me like not cussing and then months of me, I would say cleaning my mind out, right? Getting rid of just starting thinking, getting out of the neg- getting the negative thoughts out you know, putting positive thoughts in there, getting the judgmental thoughts out, putting positive thoughts in there, putting... Now, let me ask
0: you really quick. did, Did you know that stuff? Did you know, like, that's what you needed to do? Did you read up on, like, did you have other mentors? Like, how did you get that type of wisdom at 18, 19?
1: Again, I think divine, divinity. I mean... I've never been asked that question,
0: Uh, (laughs) but it's real insight. Like it's real insight because again, like I'll take you a little bit on my journey. I'm a little bit older than you. I'm 32 now, right? right? I got introduced to entrepreneurship, you know, eight years ago, nine years ago with my wife, but it wasn't until I jumped into becoming an entrepreneur that I started to understand personal development. And the things that I needed to do to clean out those negative thoughts and things like that. But I I didn't know that stuff until someone explained it to me. But it sounds like you knew it intuitively that, like, these are the things I have to do. I have to get rid of these type of people. I have to, right, change this about me.
1: Okay, so I, I think a good way to put it would be my mom did an amazing job of saying, so my mom didn't make us go to church, right? Mm. From the time I was 13 to 18 until I left the house, she never made us go to church. But she always went. And not just that, but she always loved us unconditionally. And not only that, man, I watched her, you could watch a straight up, and I'm not putting any categories on anybody, but you can watch somebody who's strung out on drugs, stumbling all over the place. And my mom would talk to them and act like she's talking to the president. I mean, that's who she is. And so I think part of it was just seeing the love that not only she had for herself, but she had for other people, the confidence that she had for herself. She didn't, my mom didn't, she didn't judge herself too hard, right? Like, right? like she didn't put so much pressure on herself. She just said, hey, this is who I am. And if I need to become better, then that's what I'm going to do. So, and I didn't know, obviously, I didn't like know that then. Right. right. But I think that's what kind of, like you said, puts that intuitive. I don't know if we really ever have intuitiveness as much as we do have influences. And then that influence our, is our decision. Very true. But I think if you were raised knowing with some sort of moral code, right? Like everybody has a moral code, whether it's based on the Bible or whether it's based on whatever you believe or whether it's based on what your parents believe. Everyone has a moral code that they choose to live by, right? There's certain things you won't do because you don't think it's right to do. Now that line is very different for obviously for a lot of different people, But at that point in my life, I said, I don't need to do these things because these things are making me like going around cussing at everybody. I'm a bad person for that. Like, so I I don't think that it would be necessarily called intuitiveness as much as it is knowing right from wrong and knowing that being addicted to someone is wrong. Right. So, and I, I would say, okay, why do I treat people like this? Why do I keep pushing all these people away? And I knew as a kid, I was building bricks around my heart. Right, because that's what I did. I closed my eyes. My heart would be a million pieces. I'd take a brick and I'd stack it up wow. in my. head. Right, this is like a story, I guess you could say, that was in my head, like a picture that was in my head yeah. as a kid. So I knew I had these walls, right? Because yeah. I put. I think that's a very literal way of saying things and of doing things. Um, and I think that's what made it so easy for me to break those walls down is because I had the literal description of putting those walls there in the first place. And a lot of people don't have that. They put walls up without realizing it. Absolutely. And those walls are really hard to break down because they can't see it.
0: Absolutely. Um, but you saw it because you built it and you knew you, you were aware enough to know that you were building it. Correct. So work, work after that time was only the oil field or yeah, yeah, that yeah. transition? Yeah.
1: I was working for a company, a third party company, which just the money wasn't that good. I was on call and I wanted to go work on an actual rig because the money was a lot better and I'd have a steady schedule and I was having a kid. So I applied for probably a hundred different companies, wow. 125 companies. Eventually I got on, did that for four years, hated it, but I learned a lot. You know, I learned a ton. Like I learned a lot, a lot, three, three and a half years of the is what I worked there.
0: Why would you hate it?
1: Um, I just didn't like being trapped. I mean, I was, I was in the middle of the ocean. Like where are we going to go? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, and the, it makes you tough because nobody out there really gives a crap about you or your feelings. It's just work. You work for 12 hours and then you're done working. And if you get tired of working sometimes during that 12 hours, stand back up and and work. So it taught me a lot about, I mean, don't get me wrong. My my stepdad did a very good job of teaching us the importance of hard work, but I didn't like being trapped and I didn't really didn't like breaking my back every day. Nothing against it. I mean, like this weekend, I went and cut down trees and you know built fence, and I don't mind doing any of that stuff, but I just didn't want to do it for a living. I, I felt like I could learn to work with my mind, that I could learn to push that creative potential, and I could just push myself mentally. That's all. I all I felt like because I I could do it. I didn't have to work with my back to make a living, and that there's nothing wrong with that. I have so much respect for people in the blue collar field, and I, even now I still call myself I'm a blue collar worker in a white collar world. Right? I, I have nothing against that. Sure. I think everybody needs to go do some manual, some legit manual labor for at least three months, even women, everybody. I think everybody needs to go do it for three or four, but go do it for one summer, right? I've been doing it since I was 14, 15, every summer. And it puts a certain level of work ethic in you. It puts a certain level of respect in you. Yeah,
0: those, so I, think everybody- I think you hit the nail on the head with those two things, by the way. Like that's exactly what blue collar work will do. It gives you that respect and it definitely gives you the work ethic. And that's what a lot of people are missing today is the work ethic. They don't understand that this thing takes work, this thing called life. (laughs) It takes work and people aren't willing to put in the work. So that's where you got your start. So then fast forward, if you can, how did your business pop up? What's it, it's underground, underdog? Yeah, underdog social. Underdog social, how did that start?
1: Yeah, so all that came from uh, just this past year. This year, I actually moved to Iowa. I got hired by a company. Again, I got pushed out of one company last year, and I, the owner and I had a massive falling out. It went down, just went down extremely, extremely ugly, but I'm very grateful for that, for the situation. Cause not only, I mean, everything in my life, it put, propelled me into everything that I'm in right now. And I learned a lot about business in general there, about managing a team, about leadership, about managing profits, you know, knowing how to run the books. So I learned a lot of things to the business side of things that I wouldn't have learned elsewhere. So although we had a nasty falling out, I needed to that situation. So I just got pushed out of that one company, started my own company, lost my investors. This was late last year. I was so broke at Christmas, I couldn't afford gifts for my kids. I have two children now. Mm. I'm a year and a half and my son's five. So I was like, crap, I guess I got to get another job. Keep in mind, I don't have a college degree, but I did not want to go back to the blue collar work. So I started applying. I applied for about 150 companies and dozens of interviews and all kinds of other stuff. You know, I only had about a year and a half experience in the business world um, in sales and so it definitely was a little difficult. Ended up getting a, a job offer in Iowa. And I think that's really where the underdog, obviously, you can tell my life's been an underdog, right? Clearly. My entire life.
0: Clearly. Been,
1: no, I mean, I used to <laughs> I used to get in trouble in school for talking too much. And now people pay
0: me to go speak. <laughs> it's funny how but, God, God uses us in that way, right? It's funny. It's
1: incredible, man. It's incredible. But yeah, so... You know, my entire life, I've been told no. I've been rejected more times than I can count. I can't tell you how many people have laughed in my face when I said my dreams. So I learned sometimes you got to watch when you're talking about your dreams because if you're not very aware or if you're not fully okay with the direction that you're going – this is a side rant, by the way. This is free. If you're not fully aware and you're not okay with the direction that you're going, when you start spitting your dream, there's nothing wrong with that because you're excited about it. But people, the naysayers, the people who are small-minded – they will push you down. And if you're not careful, you'll let that dream die before you ever even try it.
0: We, so that's call, a we call them dream stealers. There are a lot yeah. of them out there and that's exactly what they do. You hit the nail yeah. on the head. I put that out on Instagram, that meme that post a long time ago that said like right. the number one thing that makes people not be successful is taking advice from their friends and family or listening to their friends and family. And that's normally what happens when you have a big dream and the people around you don't. And you tell mm-hmm. them that big dream, it's their job to tell you, let's be realistic. They always operate out of a place of what they don't have or what they couldn't get. So they shoot your dream down. And they're dream stealers. So yeah. I know them very well. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, and, and even you know, when I was coming up here don't. people were like, Jacob, you don't have a college. And it was mostly family and friends. Like you said, you don't have college education. I don't understand how a company is offering you this job and all this other stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I ended up leaving, of course, took a lot of took my family with me and and took a lot of, I guess you can say, resilience for it. Not just that, but I also started creating content. So last year I jumped on LinkedIn to look for a job. Mm. And that was right after they released the native video feature. And as you can tell by this point, I'm pretty okay with who I am. So I started throwing out videos, hoping to help somebody.
0: And what were you talking about in the early videos that you had started?
1: A lot of this same stuff. Yeah. Now, my content is mainly focused on what I do today, which is underdog social and the brand with it. But in everything that I do, man, anytime I can talk about the head game, I will. But early on, it was a lot of breaking out of the victim mentality, not, you know, take responsibility for what you can and what you, sometimes things are not your fault. So stop worrying about it. If you can't fix it, stop worrying about it. It wasn't your fault. Let it go. Focus on the controllable. Take responsibility for you and let the rest go. That's the only thing you can do anyways. So a lot of my early content, a lot of my early videos and stuff like that were around that. But next thing I know, I have this brand, right? I've got thousands of followers. I have thousands of views every time I post. And I have
0: hundreds of How those. did that happen, Jacob? Like, really take us through. Because as a guy like myself, who yeah. I love social, that's why we're connected. I'm right. on every platform just getting more into LinkedIn over the past few months just because yep. I, I'm seeing what's happening. So I'm I'm there a little bit more, but as I got on, you're right. You already were getting thousands of likes and hundreds of comments on your posts. So how did it start? Was it just immediate? Was it something that you did specifically?
1: Well, no. And keep it. So for me, I can rattle off 20 people right now who pretty much started out going viral. That's not me. For me to even get where I'm at today, which I don't consider myself a hot shot or anybody special, but it's taken consistency, right? I've been there. Every day, day in and day out. I've been there. Not only that, but I am a big fan of engagement. Mm. I engage with my community. I engage with the people who comment on my stuff. I engage with the people who send me messages. I engage with when people send me messages with links to post them, it's a little annoying, but I'll still take the time to at least go like it. Right? The tags and all that stuff like that, sometimes it can get annoying. But I have that's where the gratitude comes in. I have to remember that look, I like Stop being such a hot shot. Be humble. People are tagging on their stuff because they want you to see it because they look up to you, right? Right. So the engagement is king. And then the second thing is just be a real dude, right? Or be a real lady. Like that's it.
0: That's the secret. And people just don't seem to get it, right? When it comes to social, they're just not authentic and yeah, they don't people, understand yeah. how to build community.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. People want to put a a facade. People want to put a facade up. People far too often, they, they want to tell you what they think you want to hear. Right. Or they want to act the way that they think they're expected to act. And when you're real, especially maybe not in one video, maybe not in one post, maybe not in one article, but when you're there, as long as platform, when you're consistently there, as long as I've been, even for two or three months, I tell everybody when it comes to a social media strategy, give yourself 90 days, but or even longer, 90 days to 120, right? Always give yourself three to six months. But when you're there that much, if you're fake or if you're insecure or if you're, I mean, all the little stuff, like people can see it, dude. People sniff it out. Yeah. People see that. Like you think you're good. Even There's been at times when I thought I was being slick and I've had some creators call me who I've, I've been lucky enough to build some major relationships with and they'll check me on it. Like, Hey bro, you, you know, you need to ca- check that ego. You need to calm back down or look, man, you're acting a little desperate. What's going on. Let's talk through this. So as good as I feel like I'm like freaking King, right? Like I've got this even times, right? I get to those places. So I would definitely say when it comes to building a brand, stay consistent, engage, listen to the audience. Like, what are people doing? What are they liking? What are they not liking? Right? I mean, there's obviously, that's a, I mean, there's
0: a whole ton of strategy that comes How, with many, how many hours a day do you spend on LinkedIn specifically? So first off, first question, is LinkedIn your main place that Absolutely. you're doing content? Absolutely. Okay. And then how many hours a day are you spending on LinkedIn?
1: I would say now I've been able to get it down to about two hours a day. Okay. Um, when I first started, it was about four or five. Okay. And I was mainly spent about four hours engaging with other people's content. And I mean, thoughtful engagement, not just great job. I mean right. like taking the time to read the copy, to watch the video, man, this is cool. This is awesome. This is why I liked it or, or I resonate with this. And here's another thing. If you don't like something, keep scrolling.
0: Exactly. Don't be, don't be fake. Going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: like, nobody cares. Just keep going. Yeah. I've had my fair share of trolls and I don't mind them at all. I love to get trolled. I think they're funny and I use them in my talks. <laughs> but yeah, so I would, I would say that, and LinkedIn is, for anyone who's listening who's not on LinkedIn, just to drop some quick facts, okay? There are roughly 72 hours of content being uploaded to YouTube per minute. There are, uh, last I checked, I think it was over 1.8, 1.8 billion active users on YouTube. Instagram just rolled over 1 billion users, and Facebook's at 2.2 billion users. Now, obviously, you want to have a presence in all those places because there's a large audience there. However, if you're a new, newer creator or you're just now jumping in, it's really hard to break into that space because there's already so much noise. LinkedIn has 550 million users, and out of those 550 million users, about roughly 1% of them are actively creating content. I have never given a dime to LinkedIn. I don't even have the paid version of the, the premium or whatever. I've never given a dime to them. And I've cumulatively almost acquired just under a million, right at a million views on all my content. Every time I post, I get between ten and 20,000 views. And the views, take the views away from it. I'm consistently getting two to 300 likes. Right. Okay, What shows me, and about and you know, 100 comments, so what shows me, That I have a community that is consistently coming there, right? You create fans, you create people who are looking for your content because they say, hey, that dude's real. That lady knows what she's talking about. And I want to make sure I'm always watching their stuff because they're dropping a ton of value. And that's the only true metric that you really ever need to go off of. And this is what I do with companies is measure the engagement. The engagement is king no matter what. Not only how you engage with other people with other brands, how you engage with your community, but it's also how they engage with you. People get so hung up and like, oh, my God, I got a 1,000 views, blah, 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 <laughs> And it's like, dude, throw the views out. Yes, I mean, the views are like a, a vanity metric that, that gives validity to the platform and gives validity to my brand. But ultimately, when I post, I'm not looking for views. I'm looking for engagement. Every single time, I'm looking for engagement. That's it. So, yeah, that's extremely, extremely. And I know we kind of got off on this rant here from...
0: That's okay. I like it because I'm big in social, right? So those are things that I do. And everything that you said, by the way, is spot on. So everyone that's listening, hopefully you are writing that down or you're taking a mental note of that engagement is everything on social. That is, is it? it. It's engagement. Why are you there? Right? I'm a Gary V fan. You guys have heard me say that before. I've listened to a lot of Gary Vee, read a lot of his books right? Really follow and understand what he does. And what he talks about is that it's engagement. You're not on social, just throwing right hooks, meaning you're not just there to sell. You're not just there to tell people what you do so they can join your course or join your funnel or, right? You can recruit them into your business. That's not why you're there. You're there to build a community of people, right? That you all are like-minded, that you help each other, that you add value to those people and when someone goes into that setting of being on a social platform just to add value people see it and people yeah. actually appreciate it that's how you build community so jake you hit the nail on the head like that's exactly how to do it and it shows because your linkedin is blowing up so
1: yeah but i mean and it's it is so very true so Underdog social, basically, the meaning of the brand. I have a Facebook community. I don't make any money off of it. The the rule number one is no sales. It's literally just people uplifting people. Because when you're, as an entrepreneur or a freelancer, side hustler, whatever you want to call yourself, there are times, there are days when it gets rough. Some days are freaking amazing. Mm -hmm. And other days just suck. I don't know how else to put it. And there's a lot of loneliness too, especially when you don't have that community of people who understand. If you're an entrepreneur and you're surrounded by corporate America, you have a hard life. Okay. Because they think you're freaking nuts for working 18 hours a day, not getting paid, for getting, for failing, right? For getting kicked in the nuts all day. They think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, but as an entrepreneur, right? Who has entrepreneurial friends, when I got friends who call me and say, man, I mean, you know, this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. I'm like, dude, I get it. I got you. Right. It's you so, each important. Other. it is, dude. It it's so important. So that's why I, Underdog Social Brand is all about. The people who've been rejected, like if you've been rejected, if you've been told no, if you've been told you can't do it, if you've been told you're worthless, come talk to me because I will tell you without a doubt in my mind that you are worth everything because I, for the longest time, was rejected, was kicked down, was told that I was worthless. And now I can tell you without a doubt, without a shadow of doubt in my mind that if you want it bad enough, you can do it, right? Take responsibility. Don't be afraid to fail, just fail. Just freaking fail. It's okay, but take responsibility for it, right? Yeah. You know what? I sucked. This is what happened. Then move on. I had a guy come the other day right out of college. He called me and he asked me a great question. He said, he said, where do you think the entrepreneurial drive, the spirit, the business mindset comes from, especially at a young age? He said, where do you think that comes from? I told him flat out. I said, dude, I don't think I'm the best businessman in the world. And I sure as heck don't think I'm the smartest. Hmm. I said, the only thing that, there's only two things that I really think sets me out. The first thing is I do think I have ability to learn fast, Right. I have a lot of confidence in the way that I learned. The second thing is, is that I feel like I have an inherent ability to repeatedly get kicked and keep going. That is it. That is it. That's the only thing that I really think sets winners out from losers is the fact that a winner really doesn't care what you think. And a winner really doesn't care how much he loses. All he cares is how many times he gets back up. That's really it. That's it. Right. As long as you learn, you don't make the same mistake twice. That's stupid. But if you're making different mistakes, well then keep doing it. Stop beating yourself up, learn from it and move on. And so with the underdog community, that's what it's all about, dude. Like, if, if that's you, come be a part because I want to help you, I want to inspire you. And not only that, dude, but you see other people starting to pop off in the community now who're starting to find their success, and now they can share their stories. And it's not just me sharing my story, it's other people sharing their stories. And that's what the core brand is about.
0: Sure. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And obviously, you being your age starting this brand, Man, your upside is amazing of where it could be in the next five years, 10 years. Where do you see it? Like, what's the goal? Where are you taking this thing?
1: No, it's a great question. I would say as a full-scale agency, so right now, the two main things that I do, one, I do the personal branding stuff, and that's mainly just teaching people LinkedIn, how to understand the platform which really you could pay me to teach you this, but I'll pretty much flat out tell you authenticity and engagement. That's it. Now, obviously there's a bunch of little stuff through there, you know, storytelling. and I make sure you're always telling the story and I make sure you, you know, you're always staying brand centric and you always true to your message, but ultimately it comes down to authenticity and engagement. But so that's one side of the, of the brand that I do. I help people with LinkedIn. And then the other side of the brand, which is pretty new. Um, and I'm just now kicking this off is helping brands connect with millennials. Okay. So, I meet with a lot of companies who are hundred plus million dollar companies and I generally meet with their C level. And when I walk into meetings, the way I've always won in sales is by finding problems, solving problems and helping others. That's it. If I can't help people, I will flat out tell you, I can't help you. Right. And that's, it. we'll be friends, but I can't help you. I'll walk right. away from a deal much faster than I'll try to sell one. Absolutely. So when I'm in these meetings, I'm always digging for these problems. A common problem that I found is that brands can't connect with millennials. They can't get millennials to come into their stores. They can't get millennials to bank with them. They can't get millennials to work for them. They can't keep millennials. They, it's, I don't know what it is about the generation that's got everybody so stumped. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's just like we don't understand what's going on. And I'll tell you right now, dude, I was on the phone with a guy today who's full-blown Gen Z. And if you can't understand millennials, you're going to be mind-blown when you when you start trying to connect with Gen Z. Because those – I mean, I'm a millennial, and I'm looking at them like – Crap, like I'm pretty (laughs) open minded, but you guys there, you guys are on a different level. So these brands have got to start thinking really, really fast. Not only that, but I believe last time I checked, by 2025, millennials are going to take up 75% of the workforce. I think last time I checked, and that's not a fact, so don't start quoting me on that. But we all see it, right? It's becoming more and more. 67% of millennials are now shopping purely online, so if you own a brick and mortar store, you have to find a way to create a customer experience like know what a store is doing. You have to find a way to get people off of Amazon and into your store, which is nearly impossible.
0: Sure, what's so, even funnier to that point, <laughs> what's even funnier is the millennials that then think that they wanna open up a brick and mortar store, right? Like that's the funniest thing to me, is like you don't see what's going on, like you don't know your own habits, like yeah. you don't go to stores, so why, yeah. why do you wanna do that? That's what I come across a lot because in what I do, I'm always talking to people that want to become entrepreneurs or, you know, are starting a company or on their way. And I try to point them in the right direction and give them some wisdom. And normally, normally, like probably eight out of 10 of them are about to do something that is very old, traditional model to start a business.
1: Yeah. And if you have like a bad of the bone, different way of doing it, then freaking do it. Right. Absolutely. But I do agree that there is a huge key. There's, you see people who win on social media, you see people who are like, obviously a large part of how I connect these brands with millennials is through social, it's through video. It still shocks me how brands are like, is video that big? If you're even (laughs) asking that question, you're 10 years behind. Absolutely. Like, like don't ask it. What's Facebook live? Like, okay. You know what? (laughs) <laughs> Stop, you know, you need help, okay? How are you a marketer? And that's really been been working really well. That's been kicking off really strong right now because it's surprisingly how big of a problem that is. So long-term, long way to answer your question, the end goal is to have a full-scale agency where it's videography, it's SEO, it's Facebook ads, it's website development, it's all of this stuff. Obviously, it's a big part of the strategy. It's And then it, hopefully I would like to take it not only from the marketing side, but also from like the customer experience side and the in-house side. Like how can you retain... Millennials? How can you attract millennials? How can you attract this hot talent? There is a lot of talent out there right now, ages 22 to 30, right? I mean, there's a lot of people out there who just graduated college or who didn't even go to college. And I mean, they're extremely talented. And you Mm got to find a way to A, be risky enough to give them a chance, and B, go out there and find a way to get them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. once you get them in the door, it's about keeping them. It's about keeping them there. And you're right. There's probably a huge disconnect there. So, you know, as we start to wrap up, I know we touched on a lot of stuff about entrepreneurship, a lot of stuff about your journey. The one side we didn't really touch on, which I'm big on because I'm a family man, just like you is the family side of things. Right. And as you're building this business and you're working, right corporate America employees will always say, right? Work life balance. Yep. Tell me your thoughts. Like, do you believe in work-life balance? Does does that matter to you? How do you see it?
1: Yes and no. I almost take a Gary V approach to this because I've struggled with this for a really long time. Hmm. About 90% of those people who scream work-life balance go home and they're like the crappiest dad you've ever exactly. seen. Exactly. They go home, they crack a beer and they watch TV for four hours at night. And then they go to bed and then they wake up and they do the same thing the next day. And then on the weekend, they may get out and mow their grass and that's it. So when it comes to work-life balance, I tend to work a lot during the week. Mm -hmm. I try to make it home by nine every night because I lay my son down and we say our prayers. And that's important to me. And then on the weekends, generally, sometimes I'll catch four or five hours either before they get up or late when they go to bed to work. But generally it's Saturday, you know, I'm cleaning the house, I'm cleaning the showers, I'm vacuuming, I'm watching the kids. Like this weekend, I took both kids, I let my wife go do whatever she wanted to do. Right. And she's an incredible mom. So, you know, I let her go do whatever she wants to do. I took the kids out, went to a festival, But a lot of quality time with my kids, you know, even when I'm outside working, right? My son, he wants to help me work. So I just, you know, I give him a rake or I give him something easy to do and, and he's working. Right. So I think that, and not only that, like I'm there, dude, I'm with them. Mm-hmm. that's something that meditations really helped me a lot is just being able to be present.
0: Be present. Yeah, it's yeah. so true. It's so true. It's, it's the thing that I struggled with in the beginning too, is just being present and knowing right now I, I have certain sayings, right? Faith, family, business, right? That's the priority that those are the only things that I deal with. If it doesn't grow my faith, my family or my business, I typically don't do it. And like you said, it's quality over quantity of time when it comes to hanging out with your family, right? Like like you said, people have the nine to five, they go home or they go to happy hour and then they get home and then their kids and family might be there, but they're watching TV, they're playing a video game, they're on the phone, they're doing something that's actually not quality time. I care more about quality time over the quantity of time. That's what I think every entrepreneur has to understand. And it seems like you have a good grasp of that too.
1: Yeah, and I will say though too, that I'm huge on If no one else hears anything that I said, if they listen to this show, if they listen to me ramble this entire time, understand that I don't care. Tips, tricks, techniques, dude, you can Google that, okay? You can find all of that. You want to know how to work SEO, Google it. Facebook, Instagram ads, Google it. You want to know how to to be a better video creator, Google it. YouTube, like you can find the information. You want to know about PPC or PLAs, Google it, right? Like you want to know all this stuff, you can Google it, but what you – what I hope that I can tell people enough that no matter what self-awareness and self-acceptance, know who you are, know where you're going, know why you're there and be okay with that person because no matter what it takes. So even when it comes to this stuff right here, I'll tell you, I won't judge you for how you live your life. If you want to work from 9am to 12 and go home and just live your life like that, do it. I don't care. That's your life. Just don't judge me for how I live my life. Right? Absolutely. So thats I'm big on if you need to be home with your wife and kids every night, then do that. If you need to go to the gym for eight hours a day, then do that, right? Like, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want to do, just do it. I've just done this long enough now to where I know, like, I have to wake up in the morning, you know, 5 a.m. I have to have a morning routine. I have to take myself first thing in the morning, right? Then I have to create lists for my day. Then I have to take my kids to school. So, like, I know what works for me. So, I'm telling you, just create that, have that level of self-awareness in your life where be willing to take that inventory and look at yourself and say, okay. And if you don't know what you need or what you want, then just try stuff, right? Just try Okay. Right, well, maybe right. you know I've been a little moody like this. So it's I'm huge on on find. You have to find your own groove. Obviously, you want to take lessons and learn from other people, but then try it yourself. And if it doesn't work, then stop and do something
0: else. That's it, man. That's it. And you again hitting the nail on the head. Hopefully, again, everyone out there listening is taking notes because. He's telling you the secrets. He's telling you what everyone, you know, the perspective, the way to think about entrepreneurship, building a business, what it is that you need to do, right? So just to wrap up, I ask a final question of the day. And Jake, you've been awesome. First off, tell them where to find you. Tell them all the places to, to, to find you.
1: Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm on there. Jacob, where's Well, you have, I'm assuming like, you'll have my name spelled in the, in the mm-hmm. thing. Okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, at Jacob Weirisbeek, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Follow me, connect to me there, send me a message. Let me know you've heard, heard me on this podcast. I've had a lot of people from other podcasts that I've been on that have sent me messages, so it means a lot when I get those. And then Underdog Social, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, same thing, just at Underdog Social. You can connect with me there. You can send me an email. So, yeah, easily. Just underdog soloist phone, Jacob Weir's Mickey on any platform you choose, except for Twitter and Snapchat. Those are two that I got to work on.
0: Yeah, I'll help you on your Twitter game. We'll help each other on those things. You help me on LinkedIn. I'll help you on Twitter. We'll do that. But yes, guys, make sure you follow him. Question for you, though, Jake, before I let you go, what is your definition of entrepreneurship? Because sometimes people might not have a proper definition that aren't living it day to day. What's your definition of entrepreneurship?
1: Good, great question, Chris. I've never been asked that. Again, great question, which that doesn't say much, by the way. I, I act like, <laughs> you know, I'm on the red carpet getting interviews. <laughs> but that's a, that's a solid question. I would say for me, entrepreneurship for me is, I would say, I guess by definition, is, is doing something to make money you know, for yourself, ultimately, is working for yourself. How that looks, I think, really depends on the person. For me, I have a full-time job and I have, you know, underdog social on the side. So I think it kind of looks a little bit different for everyone. For you, maybe it's running an Etsy shop, right? Or maybe it's flipping stuff on eBay. I don't know, right? right? Maybe writing a book. But whatever you're doing to make yourself money, right, where you're not getting a paycheck from anywhere else other than your own products and or services, I would say is, is the definition of entrepreneurship for me.
0: Absolutely. And that's awesome because that's what it's about. It's about your journey, about what you call entrepreneurship. So Jake, I super appreciate you, man, having you on. You dropped a lot of value. You gave a lot of value to the listeners. I'm always a resource for you. So anything you need, feel free to reach out. You know where to get in touch with me. But for all the listeners out there, make sure you follow Jacob. He gave you all the stuff to follow him at. And make sure you leave him some comments. Engage with him because that's all we care about, guys, is engagement. We're building community. We're helping. We're adding value value. So we want to hear what you guys think about it. So until next time, guys, we're signing off from the Entrepreneurial Development Podcast. I will check you out later.